the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor over at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon. I'm also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. Honored to be in studio today with Pastor Rich Jones, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center and the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel. Great to be with you today, Pastor Rich. Very, very um, privileged, really, to um, be given the honor of, of uh, being on the Georgine Rice Show. Of course, we miss Georgine. And uh, at the same time, my heart is heavy. Uh, tragedy is unfolding there in, in Israel, and uh, lives are being lost and it's just a tragedy. I couldn't agree with you more. Latest reports are that uh, 1,200 mm-hmm. uh, Israelis were killed because of the atrocities that took place and on that, October 7th. And that number has come down. I mean, in the it sense is. that they've been more accurate yes. in, in their accounting of it. We heard first that 1,400. Now we're hearing the 1,200. Although the number of hostages has gone up. Yeah, we're at 239 <coughs> hostages. Four released, one rescued. 27 countries have citizens being held hostage, with 10 from the United States. Now, uh, we are hearing reports that there is the possibility of a deal between Israel and Hamas for the release of uh, 50 hostages, mm-hmm. uh, possibly along the lines of uh, there being a, a stay in terms of a ceasefire uh, so that the mm-hmm. hostages can be transported safely. But nevertheless, I'm with you. A hundred percent. Just the absolute uh, tragedy that's unfolding before our very eyes. And we're also getting reports that within uh, Gaza, over 11,400 have been killed there as well. Mm. And, and, of course, it's very difficult to understand some of these numbers because when we hear that number of, of lives lost in in Gaza, I think that we have to understand that that includes... Um, terrorists, right? those who are, are because they're fighting, frankly, in civilian clothes. Exactly. And you cannot differentiate one from another. And I know that that many, many thousands are, are perishing, of course, at this attack because uh, Israel is determined they have to uh, overturn and demolish uh, Hamas if they are to prevent you know, this from happening again. I mean, the future really depends on it, because every time that Hamas attacks, which they have been doing repeatedly right since 2007, uh, it, it seems like it's worse every time. They're increasing their armament. Their missiles are flying farther. They're sending more of them. So Israel has come to the point of realizing, look, we have to topple Hamas for the future of Israel. And that really has created the dilemma that we're seeing unfold on a global scale. I I believe in my lifetime, I've never seen a conflict 
create such deep lines where people are either for or against something and they're very, very clear as to where they stand. Would you agree? Oh, yes. And what we are seeing, you know, what this has brought out really in the world is quite disturbing. I mean, I think we should talk about that at some point uh, as well as the the uh, degree of protests that are happening around the world. Very concerned. And we're talking about tens of thousands in each city, hundreds of thousands at times, all over the world. And yet, interestingly, uh, you know, when many of these protesters are interviewed, um, they are very, uh, let's say, I, I don't want to be despairing, but ignorant of the facts. Uninformed? Uninformed. And it's, that is a tragedy because I think, and that's what I want us to do today, really to focus on is informing, being accurate as to the history, how did we get here, and where do we go from here in Israel and Gaza and the region, uh, you know, in, in, in its entirety. Well, in, in light of that, let's, let's talk about just going backward a step the nature of the conflict to begin with, what are they at war over right now? Well, What is the nature of the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis? Well, you know, in many ways, you could trace the animosity all the way back to Abraham. I mean, if you really wanted to go back in history, you'd have to look at, at the, uh, the animosity between the sons of Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac, and, uh, uh, of course, the prophecy that the angel of the Lord brought is that this uh, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, uh, would be a wild donkey of a man and that they would, you know, he would be at enmity and that sort of thing. And we're seeing that played out, really. The, the, all the Arab nations trace their heritage back to Abraham through Ishmael. So really that's in many ways the origin of it. But in a more recent history... I think there's where we need to recognize some very key, very important facts having to do with that region and what that brings about today. So, for example, um, you know, we, we really have to trace back the, the history to, let's say, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, when the area was, was, in fact, predominantly Arab. I mean, really it was. Uh, maybe ten percent uh, Jewish, mm-hmm. and um, but then because of the anti-Semitism, interestingly, that was arising in Western Europe and in Russia and Eastern Europe, that Jews really started to feel compelled to find a homeland, right? And um, many of them started to make Aliyah, which is to say, leave wherever they were to make. Palestine, their home. And they therefore started to come in waves. Um, Tens of thousands at a time were coming because of anti-Semitism. And therefore, uh, the Arabs, of course, saw these waves of Jews and became very concerned and started. There's where the tension really started. And then it built, built, built all the way up until finally uh, it culminated when the British, who were controlling the area, said, we can't control this tension, this animosity anymore, handed the whole thing over to the United Nations. And their decision, their suggestion was, we need to partition the land. And they came out with a partition plan 
uh, which 1947 is when they came out with it. And then uh, the, the war really began. And then Israel, of course, took them up on that, uh, uh, accepted the borders, the boundaries, the proposition. They became a nation. And then, as we know, uh, five Arab nations declared war. And uh, that, in many ways, is the background to the tension that's arising today. So that's the tension of the, the, uh, that ar- has arisen as a result of that proclamation by the United Nations. Right. And ever since that time, you have a situation where Israel is saying, we're willing to negotiate. We're willing to work with you. But what's been the Palestinian response? Well, of course, they have rejected offers, uh, starting with that one. Well, actually, before that, even uh, a British Peel Commission, it was so-called, trying to come up with uh, some idea of how to solve this. Their idea was partition, of course. That was flatly rejected by the Arabs. The United Nations thing was united. I mean, I I would like to discuss after this coming break, I would like to talk about the opportunities that there has been for a two-state solution that have been rejected by the Arabs repeatedly. That's a great point. Let's stop right there, and we'll resume here in a little bit. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, uh, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. In studio today with Pastor Rich Jones, who's the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel and also the Founder and Chairman of Blessers of Israel. Pastor Rich, during the last segment, we were talking about the Palestinian conflict with Mm -hmm. Israel, and we were also talking about how there have been many opportunities given to Israel and the Palestinians to work out some type of arrangement. We'll get into some of those details here in a moment, but we thought it might be a good idea first to define who are the Palestinians? Where do we where do they come from? How do we have this situation that we see today? Who is this people group? Yeah. And you know when we hear uh, Palestinians, I think what what conjures up in the mind is that they are a, you know, unique ethnic group. When in fact that's not really accurate at all. So the the name Palestinians actually comes from the Philistines which were the ancient enemies of Israel back in the days of David and Saul, etc. Um, and what happened was when Rome defeated Israel in 70 AD, uh, they put down that uh, you know, uh, rebellion. There was then another one. Uh, and finally, Rome decided to outlaw Jews in Jerusalem. They renamed the city Capitolina, and then they renamed the whole region Palestina after the Philistines in order to offend the Jews. So ever since that time, uh, which would have been, let's say, second century, uh, that area has been known as the area of Palestine. Again, given that name by the Romans. So when you think of a Palestinian, really, uh, anyone from that area was called a Palestinian. Even the Jews called themselves Palestinian. Uh, you know, before all the conflicts. Well, many of them would have come <clears throat> from some of the Arab nations that surrounded that area, correct? Well, exactly, uh, which is another interesting part of the story. But my point being that someone who refers to themselves as Palestinian is referring to the area. Uh, the Palestinians 
so-called, are Palestinian Arabs. Really, they're Arabs. And so whenever I refer to them, I, I like to be more clear by saying Palestinian Arabs. Uh, so that's really where it came from. Now, I think it is important to note also, because we hear a lot about, um, you know, has, has Israel become colonial and, and stolen the Arab lands, you know. Well, I think it's important to know, again, uh, understanding our history is a key to understanding where we are and where we go from here. Um, that that area before, let's say, 1948, when Israel declared themselves to be a state, <clears throat> there was no state there uh, at all. There was no nation state there for hundreds of years. Uh, the Ottomans... Mm-hmm. The, modern-day Turkey, um, controlled that area in the Ottoman Empire from, let's say, 1517 until about 1917. So I'll call it 400 years when they were defeated by the British in World War One, And so there was no nation-state there. And then after the British defeated, you know, the Ottomans, well, the League of Nations authorized the British to have a mandate to oversee the security and governance of that area, the British mandate. So again, there was no state there. Uh, Then, when Israel was making all of these waves of, I mentioned uh, before, waves and waves of of immigration coming out of Egypt. Jews were coming out of Europe. uh, Russia. Russia. uh, Again, because of anti-Semitism. And then the rise of Nazism made that, of course, much, much worse the anti-Semitism was unbearable, as we know from history. But um, there was no state there, right? But the Jews coming in, this is a very important fact, were buying the land, right? They weren't taking, they weren't stealing, buying. And may I add, David David Ben-Gurion and others were encouraging those who were buying the land to make sure when they bought the land they weren't buying land from those who are currently using land for their own personal purposes. Typically, they were buying land from uh, landowners who weren't even living on the land, but living in other places as well. And and oftentimes, it would be like swamps, let's say, and they would drain the swamps, uh, planting eucalyptus trees, which they found out really does very wonderful... And many uh, considered it just to be wasteland that they were converting. The the areas particularly that they were buying were, were more wasteland. Um, and then they would set up a kibbutz, in the plural, kibbutzim. And so it's important to note this. They were buying the land. And, and uh, there was a Zionist organization uh, found, founded by uh, you know, Theodore Herzl. Mm-hmm. But they were raising millions of dollars all from you know, Jews' contributions around the world to buy this land. So, again, this is important. They did not become colonial. Yep. No, they bought the land. Now, in 1948, when, again, the British had no more to do with it, they said, we cannot manage this, right? So they told the United Nations that you must come up with a solution or we will abandon it to chaos, and they gave a date, right? May 15, 1948. So uh, the United Nations, again, voted to partition the land. The vote was 33 to 13, overwhelmingly in favor. And the uh, Jews accepted that partition plan. The Arabs flat out rejected it and declared war 
five Arab nations joining them in that war. Now, the result of that war of independence was that Israel expanded, expanded the boundaries that set forth by the United Nations, and there were hundreds of thousands, really 700,000-plus refugees, Palestinian Arab refugees. Now, this is an important factor uh, for what's happening today. Those refugees were set up in refugee camps in the so-called West Bank, South Lebanon, Jordan, the area of Gaza. And so those were uh, camps. And again, how they became um, refugees is another story, but they were refugees and not brought into those nations that they were dwelling in. Jordan didn't bring them in. Lebanon didn't bring them in. Egypt would not bring them in. No, they remained in those camps, unincorporated into those nations. Now, and I want to be brief on this, but you know at the same time that these uh, Palestinian Arabs were becoming refugees. There were Arab nations that were rejecting Jews by the hundreds of thousands. And where were they going? They were brought into no. They were brought into camps. Okay, exactly. Initially, they were, but then they integrated. Were, they were, now that's my point. They were integrated into society. Where are why? Where are the Arab nations then in inviting those refugees that were Arab into their? No, they stayed refugees. And now today, there's like I don't know the number exactly. Maybe two point four million of these. Palestinian Arab refugees. That is the basis of the tension today. Well, that is a great and helpful summary of where we're at, how we got to where we're at today with the Palestinian problem, their history, but also, uh, and more importantly, uh, how the Palestinian refugees were were brought into these other countries but not integrated. And 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 thus the surrounding nations haven't played a role in solving the problem that we see today. Right. They have further uh, added fuel to the fire to the problem that currently exists. Well, the Palestinian refugees being there, frankly, play into the overall plan. Well, we're running out of time on this right. segment. Let's continue to pick up this conversation regarding the modern Palestinian problem, how we got to where we're at. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, associate pastor over at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, and also the executive director of Blessers of Israel in studio today with senior pastor Rich Jones. From Calvary Chapel Worship Center, I'm blessed to be able to work with him on a daily basis. We also work together in a new ministry we started called Blessers of Israel. He is the founder and chairman of that new ministry. Now, uh, before the break, we were talking about the Palestinian problem. We 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 defined, or you defined. Uh, how we came to understand the people who live in that area to be called Palestinians. We also talked about the history uh, that existed that led up to the formation of the nation of Israel on May 14, 1948. Uh, We also discussed briefly uh, some of the rejections regarding opportunities for there to be a two-state solution, which I guess gets us to the deeper question when there's been so many opportunities, when I look back at history, 1937, 1947, 1967, 
1979, 2000, 2005, 2008, 2019. So many opportunities for there to be peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Why hasn't it worked? What's at the root of it all? Well, I think, of course, the well, the root of it, of course, is anti-Semitism. Um, and you can go back to each one of those offers. Now, you're talking about here an offer or an opportunity for a two-state solution because I think that that is what, number one, the United Nations felt was the solution. Um, <clears throat> and, and frankly, Israel has felt that was the solution for many, many years, and I believe that that's, they would still say the same. Ideally, having two states, one be called Palestine, Palestinians, and one called Israel, side by side, that is the ideal, right? To live at peace, one to another, side by side. That's the ideal, that's the agenda that the United Nations have. As I said, Israel has favored it. And would respect whatever was mandated regarding it. Well, within reason. Within reason. Yeah, because I think if they were told, you know, give back everything, then that would be a hard but historically, sell. and we don't need to go into the details right now, they have been willing to concede quite a bit. Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, order to achieve peace. Exactly right. Because, you know, we talked about the Palestinian refugees that came out of the War of Independence in 1947 and 48. Well, when the 1967 Six-Day War very uh, sadly and tragically occurred, um, Israel pushed the lines, of course, even farther, taking uh, Jerusalem proper, control of the West Bank, Syria, the Golan Heights, let's call it that, would be better, and uh, Gaza, expanding, expanding the borders even more, now creating even more refugees. Interestingly, at the conclusion of that war, the Israel Knesset, which is the same as the parliament, voted unanimously, that is to say 100% in agreement, to give all of it back in exchange for peace, which is an offer of a two-state solution and peace. Let's be friends, you know, one to another. And and that's mind-boggling to me, because when you look at human history and war, Wars between nations. When have you ever seen such a a statement or a desire for peace like Israel made right there? You, when when they right. were attacked, right, unprovoked, right, they were attacked, outnumbered, outgunned, but they win and they seize territory, and then after the victory, they could have continued to occupy, but nevertheless, because they want peace they give back the land to those who attack them. You never well, see anything they like offered. that. They, okay, offered. they offered. They to offered to give it back. It was flat out rejected. No, 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 because, again, it brings back the question, what is the agenda? Uh, they rejected the offer because they did not want to concede the right for Israel to have any land at all. And in fact, you know this modern chant that we hear, uh, it's becoming quite infamous today, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. All right. Now, what it really means is that Palestine will be free of Jews. It is a call for genocide. It is a call for annihilation. It's the very same thing that Hitler declared 
that he desired to accomplish it is what is behind that that mantra that is being declared you you hear it in all of these um uh, protests in every city flags Absolutely. flags banners from this river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Free of what? Free of Jews. And they're called occupiers, right? You ask them, well, what? how much are they occupying? Answer, all of it. We want them out of all Absolutely. of it. Nothing is good enough. If there is one Jew in the land, it's that's too one too many. Right. And we won't stop. By the way, I think we need to be really honest here. If God forbid, though I believe the Bible makes it very clear Israel. God's not done with Israel. God has a plan for Israel. Right. God's going to preserve and protect Israel for the return right. of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, at the end of the Great Tribulation period. That being said, if Israel was no longer on the map, you and I know that these people would not stop. Exactly right. And in fact, I think it was Golda Meir who, who declared that if the Palestinians would lay down their weapons there would be peace. If Israel laid down her weapons, there would be no Israel. Exactly right. And so there's the dilemma, right? You look at what's happening today in Gaza, right? Well, does Hamas, the Palestinians of Gaza, do they want a two-state solution? No, they do not. They want a one-state solution, and that is a Palestinian state and, and Israel defeated. And this explains why there has not been an integration of the Palestinian refugees into places like Lebanon, right. Syria, and Jordan. Jo- right. Jordan has done better than, than Lebanon yeah. and, and Syria. Yeah. Uh, but there hasn't been this integration because they need to maintain the objective, which is... From the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. There must be no Israel on the face of the earth. Well, and, and I bring up this case in point, right? When, um, when Jordan controlled the West Bank, right, before 1967, they had every opportunity to create a state. They had control of the land totally. It was within their borders. They could have, number one, incorporated the Palestinian refugees into their population. They did not. They could have made a state. They did not. Egypt had control of Gaza. They could have made that a state. They did not. Again, this has never been the agenda of those Arab nations. And what is the agenda? Anti-Semitism. To create pressure against Israel. And that was, you want to ask what Hamas was trying to accomplish that day? It was to create a backlash against Israel that... Hamas knew the reaction would be severe. And I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. We're getting close to coming to the end of this segment here, but I think we need to delve into that issue more. Because I believe when you look at historically the landscape between uh, Israel and the Palestinians, there's a cycle that we see, this cycle of terrorism, I like to call it. And, And you're seeing that played out right here. And so what Hamas did on October 7th is playing right into an agenda that they ultimately have. Yes, they may lose some Palestinians, some constituents, some people under their authority, but that helps them ultimately achieve a greater goal, which is to remove Israel off the face of the earth. 
Well, we're coming to the end of uh, this segment here. I think we need to continue to delve into mm-hmm. this further because yes. we're, now we're getting to the crux of what mm-hmm. is up in this Palestinian problem here with uh, between Israel and the Palestinians. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, also the Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. I'm blessed to be in studio today with Pastor Rich Jones. We've been in ministry for many, many years, since the 90s, and Mm -hmm. and not only serving at Calvary Chapel Worship Center, where he's the senior pastor, but also with the ministry Blessers of Israel. Before the break, Pastor Rich, we were talking about the the problem that exists between Israel and the Palestinians, and specifically trying to get to the root of why hasn't there been peace? Why hasn't a a two-state solution worked? Why has it been repeatedly rejected? And we want to get into the details of why hasn't it worked. And so what are your thoughts in regards to this? And, and, and is there any really chance, based on what's transpired, for there to be peace? Well, you know, and I think in many ways we have to recognize that foundationally it is a religious question. I mean, foundationally it's an Islamic desire to dominate, really dominate the world, but to dominate Israel by the elimination of Jews. So it is a it is a fundamental religious philosophy of which of course I, I think many would say are extremists, others would say it's centrist. Nevertheless, it is religious. The idea is to dominate. And so it goes back to the question well, why haven't they accepted opportunities for peace? We, because foundationally, we come back to that root, right? It is a, a, f- a philosophy rooted in religious dogma, and that is not going to be compromised. Right? You cannot get rid of Nazism, for example. You can get rid of Nazi Germany, but you can't get rid of Nazism. And so this is the dilemma that Israel is facing. I couldn't agree more. You're, that's exactly what we're seeing today. I mean, even if Hamas were wiped off the face of the earth— the mindset, the philosophy, the religion brings you to where we're at today. And, and what is, therefore, the question I think you were, you were mentioning here when we started the segment is, well, what was their agenda? What was their, you know, what were they trying to accomplish? I think uh, they were, number one, believing that they could go a lot farther than they did and that they would create, they knew, number one, there would be a huge backlash that Israel would come at them, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy. And haven't we seen that historically? There will be a terrorist attack. Israel will respond. You're right. And then after the response, the world will say, okay, that's enough. Right. That's enough. And then typically the terrorist organization, whether it be Hezbollah or Hamas, they'll be rewarded monetarily. Right, And then they regather, they regroup, they strengthen. And as you mentioned in an earlier segment, what you have with the next terrorist attack is far worse right. than what preceded it. That's exactly right. So, number one, I, I, you know, they, they were anticipating that and therefore were relying on that backlash. The anti-Semitism would, would, would increase in the world. Well, didn't it work? Yeah, it worked. 
Absolutely. Look at the arising of anti-Semitism, the protests. That are, I mean, Hamas is in glee, right? This is unbelievable what we are seeing unfolding before our eyes. It, it is interesting, though, because when we look at the protests that are happening in the United States and internationally as well, you would think that the entire world is against Israel and everyone is for the Palestinians. But Rasmussen came out with a, a, a poll just mm-hmm. la- late last week, right. and and surprising to note that 68% agree with Netanyahu's statement on October 30th that calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. 68% of Americans said we agree with that. Mm-hmm. 49% strongly agree and only 21% disagree, which is interesting because when right. you look at the narrative, right. it exactly. would look like everyone is against Israel. That's right. Everyone is against the United States and their support of Israel, mm-hmm. but the numbers show us something different. But those who are vocal and those who are out on the streets, I mean, those are the ones that are getting the news. They're the ones creating the negative. And I think alarmingly, they are, in, are impacting the next generation. Couldn't agree right? more. The, those in the universities, in many ways, represent the next generation. That is concerning, right? Now, I believe also that, and we are seeing this because that as, as uh, IDF, Israel Defense Forces, are, are taking down more and more uh, uh, terrorists, militants, that they are uncovering more intelligence to, to see now that the idea was to hopefully bring about a larger regional response, to bring in Hezbollah, Iran, um, and it predominantly has not happened. Yeah, we are seeing well, action. Last weekend there were calls. I mean, there was a real attempt by Iran to try to bring the nations together. Right. Uh, the Arab nations together against against Israel, and yet it was also stalled, well, prohibited by Saudi Arabia. Interesting dynamics there that are at play. There are a lot of dynamics at play, but let me suggest that one of the reasons why Hamas, excuse me, Hezbollah in the north of Israel has not done a full-scale attack, which is what I think many people were expecting, so that there would be a two-front war. They have not done that. Um, I submit that one of the reasons is because they are witnessing what's happening in Gaza and do, do not want that to happen in uh, uh, southern Lebanon, the area controlled by Hezbollah. And so therefore, the what Israel is doing is having a deterrence effect, right? And then Israel has made it very clear that if Iran jumps and gets into the war, they will respond in great force. Said the same thing to Hezbollah. I couldn't agree more. Right. They're sending a message. So, so in essence, basically, these nations are rattling the sabers to get the headlines to keep their constituents happy with right. their yeah. negative anti-Israel rhetoric, right. but at the same time not willing to get engaged. And they're doing, uh, Hezbollah is doing just enough. Just enough. Just enough so that they can make it look like they are Engaged, And the United States is responding in kind whenever there's attacks against U.S. troops or right. some of their bases as well. And we're seeing, of course, uh, there are these attacks on his, uh, American bases in um, 
uh, Iraq and other places. And so I believe there's been about 60 wounded American soldiers. Yes, and we don't hear a lot about that, but there has. And the United States is responding, of course, in force, prim- primarily by attacking Iranian uh, uh, proxies in the region. So um, it has. my point being is that the intent of Hamas to make this a regional war has not worked. Which is very interesting because, you know, when you listen to – uh, prognosticators in the United States talking about this two-state solution. They they make it sound as if if you just play nice with Hamas, then we can win. But the truth <laughs> of the message is. Oh but the truth of the, the 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 truth of the matter is that uh, Hamas only understands one language, that's and right. that is a strong hand. That's right. That in is fact, an iron fist. That's right. Because the moment that you portray weakness to Hamas. That is victory for They them. will seize upon that opportunity. Right. In fact, I, I was uh, hearing an interview where uh, recently where the interviewer basically said, you know that the, the strong hand of Israel is creating uh, more extremists, right? And I, I love what the interviewee said. Basically, well, to follow that logic, then Israel should do nothing, hmm. right? Well, Israel is not going to do nothing. No, they have come to understand Hamas very well, that the only language that they will understand is strong force. But I would like to talk about what this war has brought about in regards to the moral dilemma, because hmm. I think that this is really a very important question. Let's tackle that the next right. segment. We're coming up on a, on a station break here. Blessing to have you all with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, associate pastor over at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon. I'm also the executive director of Blessers of Israel in studio today with uh, Pastor Rich Jones, uh, the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center and also the founder and uh, uh, chairman of Blessers of Israel. You know, today, Pastor Rich, uh, Erdogan from Turkey Mm -hmm. came out very, very strong against Israel. He said, and I quote, we will never shy away from voicing the truth that Hamas members protecting their lands honor and lives in the face of occupation policies are resistance fighters just because some people are uncomfortable with it. I am now saying with my heart at ease, Israel is a terror state. Wow. That is, and that's a NATO country, let me point out, very, very concerning. Getting ready to go meet Germany. Yes, very concerning that we have a NATO a state that is so anti-Israel as to call them a terrorist nation. Um, But notice uh, early on in the quote, he says that these Hamas fighters are, quote, protecting their land. I I think that is such a distortion of the truth that it's palpable. It's just unbelievable. He knows better than that. Uh, Yet that is the narrative that he wants to portray and this is what we are seeing. Again, a distortion of the truth. Is Hamas trying to protect their land? It suggests that Israel is the aggressor, that Israel has the agenda of maybe colonization or genocide. We hear that quite a bit, right? Well, what is the uh, agenda? <clears throat> what is uh, uh, Hamas trying to accomplish? Is it to protect their land? N- no. 
I mean, this is the complete opposite. They, well, I they couldn't knew. agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, listen, if you really want to protect your citizens, then why would you put armaments near hospitals, hospitals or schools right. or playgrounds? Why, would, why you, would you prohibit your people from traveling north to south right. to get away from Israel coming in after Israel stated clearly we are going to – Clean house in this area, so right. you need to, we're giving you a warning, you need to move south of Gaza River. And why would you attack a first world nation who's got a, one of the world's finest armies and invite them essentially to attack with the full force of that nation? Is that protecting your land? No, that is, they brought harm. They invited that harm. They, why do they put their, their compounds underneath hospitals? They're inviting that attack of that hospital. You're talking 310 miles of tunnels? Uh, exactly. Under Gaza. Layers Metro of tunnels, Gaza. Metro Gaza. You know, by the way, we hear a lot that Israel uh, war crimes. You know, you might be familiar with war crimes enough to to know that if an enemy puts weapons in a hospital, that hospital is no longer protected under Geneva Conventions. That is a great point. Therefore, we go back to your question. A question when you started the segment is, what is the agenda? Okay, Erdogan comes out, makes a declaration which is not based on fact, it's based on the opposite of fact. Hamas is not trying to protect their land, which is what we've been saying. Uh, and in fact, let me just say that <clears throat> Hamas, they had control of that area since, what, 2007? 2007, yes. They could have declared themselves to be a state. And especially when you think of all the money that's been poured. Oh, I my mean, goodness. Millions of dollars internationally. They could have made the Gaza Strip a Mediterranean resort. Absolutely. But they, what did they do with all that money? They used it to right. dig tunnels, to make weapons. They converted water pipes into missiles. That's right. I mean, they did all sorts of things to put their people at risk. Rather than educating them, they indoctrinated them. Right. And the next generations so that they can fulfill their agenda, which is to remove Israel off the face of the earth. Now, you brought up a point about education. Hopefully we have time to come back to that because I would like to talk about what's next for Gaza because it does have everything to do with education. Israel's um, commitment to the education of the next generation in Gaza. I want to bring that up because before we get done here today, because I think it's a very important uh, factor. But, you know, you were talking about uh, the, the agenda. What is Hamas trying to accomplish? The accusation. You're a genocide nation, Israel. You're committing genocide against the Palestinians. How We hear that all the time, that along with apartheid. How do you refute that? Well, I think the way you refute that is, number one, Really, who's about genocide? Hamas, their goal is, in fact, it's in their charter that they want to destroy and eliminate Israel. Well, if that's not genocide, there's no such word. That is the very definition of it, to put it in your charter that we're committed to the destruction of Israel and then to attack that nation, to invite the response that Israel has brought, knowing that they've got... There's their compounds in schools and in hospitals, inviting a, a civilian loss of life. For what purpose? 
the arising of anti-Semitism and the genocide of Israel eventually. They want the nations of the world to turn against Israel. Let me just tell you, that part they accomplished. They're winning. <clears throat> that part They're they winning yes. the narrative battle. No yeah. doubt about it. Exactly. Now, and, and here's the thing. Over time, the truth comes out. Over time, for instance, like the New York Times, they've got to do a mea culpa because yeah. they Retract. wrongly accuse yep. the IDF yeah. of, of attacking a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so did the BBC. Just this morning. But, but <clears throat> that doesn't help in the middle of crisis. You know, when that one hospital was bombed and they claimed 500 were killed. And it turns out the hospital wasn't bombed, but it was the parking right. lot that was right. bombed. And it was in the evening, so how many people were actually there? Yeah. But by that time, it was too late. Jordan hops on. Right. Turkey hops on. Right. All these nations are crying out, even the United States, saying we need to make sure that Israel no longer bombs innocents. Well, and again, it brings up the question of, you brought it up, genocide, uh, but it brings up, again, the moral dilemma, what Israel must do, right? How do they respond? I mean, ultimately, what Israel wants is peace. At the same time, and and you and I both were in Israel when we heard this from uh, an, an Israeli official, yet we want peace, but we want a divorce. Right. Now, what does that mean? We want a divorce. We want to separate ourselves from these people because these people are committed to our destruction. And yet we cannot do it because they will never stop. Right? Why did Israel put that blockade on Gaza in 2007 when Hamas took control of that region? Because it was Hamas, they were so committed to the destruction of Israel, and they were known terrorists, and they had already had blood on their hands, that Israel knew that if they didn't put a blockade in place, that Hamas would start uh, bringing in massive amounts of, of, uh, of ammunition and, uh, um, and guns. And that's exactly what they did in spite of the blockade. So, again, Israel's agenda is peace. Never genocide. That's absolutely not the case. We want peace, but we want a divorce. Like, stop trying to attack us. But what do you do when you have an enemy combatant in the borders of your control? I want to come back to that. We're coming up against the station break, but you have a great point there. What do you do when you have an enemy combatant within your borders? What could Israel do that it hasn't already done? Yeah. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thank you so much for listening. Be right back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Executive Director of Blessers of Israel. Also blessed to be the Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center, where I serve with Senior Pastor Rich Jones, who also happens to be the founder and chairman of Blessers of Israel before the station break. We were talking about where things stand currently between Israel and Hamas. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that we hear in the news quite frequently mm-hmm. is this idea of proportionality, that, that now you have 1,200 Israelis who have been killed, but over 11,000 Palestinians who have been killed. And you have these cries for there to be a ceasefire mm-hmm. because right now Israel has exceeded... 
uh, in killing more Palestinians than Israelis who have been killed. How do you respond to that idea of this uh, moral equivalence, mm-hmm. that there should be this uh, proportionate response by Israel to uh, the attack from Hamas? Well, there's several parts to that. And, and, of course, I think we should start by recognizing that um, there are many Palestinians in the Gaza area that are not Hamas fighters and that there is loss of life there in the civilian population. And it breaks our heart. I think as Christians, we have to have a broken heart. War is a tragedy. This, let me just say, this ought never have happened. From the very beginning, this ought never have happened. Hamas should never have infiltrated Israel. <clears throat> but what they did, what was heinous in, in, in a savagery. So, but they knew, Hamas knew, that Israel would respond very, very harshly, which is what they've always done, and invited, this is the key, they have invited Israel to attack in those civilian centers because they have embedded themselves in those civilian centers, wanting the civilian casualty count to go high. And as a matter of fact, when we hear this casualty count, and I mentioned this earlier, um, again, you're getting this number one from Hamas. So I think... Always some questions as to the validity of the numbers. Let's start there. Number two, that number includes militants. Agreed. And there are thousands of them. So the number is distorted, so let's be clear on that. Again, I want to start by the tragedy. Innocent lives are tragedy. But I I bring up the question, because you suggested in that, it's a question we hear all the time, is Israel going too far? And I, and I think the, the idea there is, okay, well, Israel lost 1,200 um, casualties in that October 7 attack. The idea, therefore, is that, you know, once 1,200 have been lost on the Palestinian Gazan side, then that ought to be it, right? Now, that's equivalent. Let's stop. Well, num- number one, that, that presumes that was the goal. The goal was equivalence. You know, oh, let's get revenge. No, that was never the idea. The idea was we cannot have Hamas on our border uh, uh, doing this again. We have to remove Hamas and uh, at what cost? Well, they embed themselves in the civilian population. They put their compounds in hospitals. Of course, there is going to be tremendous... loss of civilian life. Couldn't agree more. Yes, there's going to be a tremendous loss of civilian life, though they cry foul when that civilian life is lost. They put these people in harm's way and often even prohibit them from leaving, threaten them with with death if they did depart from the north, for instance. And so the truth is beginning to reveal the depths of their infiltration and their exposing of the citizens who are under their charge. So what could Israel do differently? I mean, as a a country, uh, the government is, is tasked with protecting the citizens to make sure that they are safe within those borders, that they may thrive as a people. What do you do when you have an enemy combatant within your boundaries who has a charter that says we want to destroy yes. the citizens of Israel. Well, and as I what else can Israel do? <clears throat> exactly. Well, and as a matter of fact, as I mentioned before, 
that if they were to take a light hand, let's say, that that would have invited Hamas. I think Hamas would have said that's our victory. Well, excuse me. Yeah, exactly right. But that would have invited Hezbollah yes. in the north to, to engage in a full frontal attack. That would have invited Iran. That would have invited the Houthis in Yemen to— I think they would have said, you know what, look at this just as proof that Israel's divided as a nation. Remember, they had yeah. all the political instability That's going right. on. They're That's divided. Right. We are now—in fact, they were talking about that beforehand. Israel's vulnerable. Israel's weak. Israel's divided. But this very action on October 7th served to unify the country, right. which Hamas was surprised at. So was Hezbollah and Iran. I think you're exactly right. They would have seized on the opportunity right. and they would have sought to wipe out Israel from the face of the earth. If the response was a light hint. Yes. And, and as, I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, um, you know, the suggestion that, that Israel is creating more... Uh, extremists on the Palestinian side suggest that, well, what they should do is nothing. Again, that just invites others to join in, which was the hope. Hamas wanted others to join in, but they have predominantly withheld their hand. But I want to bring up another question. You mentioned uh, moral equivalency. Uh, Let me just divert that to the question of moral dilemma. That is like, well, Israel does not want to inflict casualties on the civilian population. They made that very clear. They made efforts. Um, But when you have an enemy combatant embedded in that, literally putting up your compounds, uh, your headquarters underneath the hospital, again, that removes their protection under the Geneva Convention. And, I mean, we saw news clips even just recently where there's Hamas fighters on the steps of the hospital, right, with grenade launchers, with uh, anti-missile, anti-tank missiles uh, on their shoulders. So they're literally being taken out of hospital. They're now, of course, removing them from the hospital itself. But I want to go back to this question of moral dilemma, moral equivalency, because you know, the suggestion is, well, once, once Israel hits the number of casualties inflicted that they've lost, they ought to stop. Well, that would also suggest, if I can use an analogy, that England, they were, of course, heinously, savagely bombed. I mean, Germany, on purpose, bombed civilian populations. So uh, Great Britain knew they had to topple Nazism. They had to topple Nazi Germany. And when they began to have the upper hand, uh, I think in the bombing of England, they lost, I think, 700,000, 600,000, something like this. Um, the, the Germans, when they found themselves under duress of these bombs coming from the Allies, they lost something like 5 million, 6 million. I mean, not proportionate. Ten times the number, almost, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody that I can ever recall accused England of genocide, or, or um, you know, in some kind of unfair response. No, they had to remove Nazi Germany, and at all costs, including bringing about a civilian loss if necessary. It's a tragedy. Nobody wanted it. But at the same time, you have to stop Germany. By the way, that was very close to getting the nuclear bomb. Exactly right. But if, if, if Germany wasn't stopped— Mm-hmm. 
Great Britain as we know it, Western Europe as we know it, wouldn't be. Would not exist. What, as it is today. And exactly if, right. And, and the Hamas same thing is, is true stopped, today. Right. And if Hamas is not stopped, there will be no Israel. Well, we're coming up on a station break. It's been a great discussion. We'll continue this dialogue. Wonderful to have you with us as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor of Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsborough, Oregon, also the Executive Director of Blessers uh, of Israel. And I'm in studio today with Pastor Rich Jones, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel and also the Chairman and Founder of Blessers of Israel. Hey, by the way, I would like to put a suggestion that if our listeners would like more information, that they could go on to our Blessors of Israel website, um, blessors with an O dot org, or blessorsofisrael.org, because I think there's a lot of information. If you want to be informed about what's happening, uh, a biblical worldview perspective on what's happening not only in Israel, but the geopolitical landscape leading up to the latter days, that would be a great resource. Couldn't agree more. It's a great resource. We want to make sure the church is informed so that they may stay alert. Right. As Jesus said in regards to the signs of the time, right. knowing that, that Jesus Christ is the central point, the focal point of, of end times prophecy, but it will all happen specifically in Israel, with Jerusalem being the epicenter of where it all transforms. Well, because we have seen, of course, those who are students of, of, of the Bible, particularly of eschatology, Latter-day events, know that the fulfillment of that is that Israel will be the center of the fulfillment of Latter-day events. Jerusalem will be the, 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 the let's call it the very center, but the Temple Mount, the epicenter of the unfolding of Latter-day events. And therefore, Jesus said to watch for the signs of the times, to stay on the alert. And that's really what we as Christians need to do, to be on the alert spiritually so that there's revival in the heart and not fear. Because I think when we see the nations... This world is changing before our eyes, and therefore we ought to be concerned, we ought to be in prayer, but not to be afraid. Couldn't agree more, because Jesus Christ said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, take comfort, take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, when you look at what happened uh, on October 7th, and then how the world has responded, I think it would be fair to say initially... Uh, there was, especially in the Western European nations, the United States, uh, a, a support for Israel, uh, a support for Israel's right to defend itself, to make sure this doesn't happen again. You had a different response from other nations, such as China, uh, Russia, Turkey, uh, a more moderate response, saying we just want there to be an, a ceasefire right now. Mm-hmm. But then as time has unfolded, we're seeing some of these other these nations actually beginning to pivot and become more firm in their position against Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even some of the Western nations, you've seen some changes there as well as there's been public uh, protests okay. and, and outcry mm-hmm. in support of 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 uh, the Palestinians. What are your thoughts in regards to that shift? Yeah, well, uh, it's very very interesting. We want to be paying very close attention to the the landscape of what's happening in the world, 
and again, I, I, I want to start as a launching point uh, the, the agenda that Hamas had when they attacked. One, they wanted a larger regional conflict. They were hoping that Iran, Hezbollah, and the Houthis would full force jump in so there would be a multi-front war. But then, corresponding to that, that there would be an arising of anti-Semitism, which of course has been fulfilled, and then that the nations would start turning against Israel. All right. Now, I think, number one, they were shocked at the degree of support. When, when October 7th first unfolded, the, I think, what was it, 95% plus of the nations were strongly in support of Israel. They have every right to defend themselves. They have every, in fact, obligation to defend themselves. But, in fact, we predicted it on our podcast that that would quickly shift. And then on October 26th, the United Nations General Assembly adopted a non-binding resolution calling for an immediate, durable, and sustained humanitarian truce with 120 nations, all the BRICS nations, which we're going to define here in a moment, included except for India. But in that 120 in favor of that included France, Ireland, and Spain, with Mm -hmm. only 14 against uh, the United States leading the charge there. 45 abstained, which included the U.K., and Canada. Yeah, very interesting. And of course, there, and we understand, right? We have compassion. We understand that uh, the heart breaks for casualties, civilian loss of life. It is tragic. I understand why nations would say call for a ceasefire. But what they don't understand is that a ceasefire is a victory for Hamas, right? A long term view. And a message to Hamas's allies. Absolutely right. Exactly right. So, but we have to take a long-term view. Like, what is going to be the best for that area? Well, we have, Israel has stated very clearly, Hamas must be destroyed for the future, not only of Israel, but for the Palestinians. There has to be something better. And in fact, you know, and and maybe this would be a good time. I know I want to talk about those nations you brought up, but I would like to talk a little bit about when Israel succeeds in toppling Hamas, and they will, Mm -hmm. um, what's next? Now, there's been discussion, for example, of maybe having the Palestinian Authority that controls the so-called West Bank, Israel calls Judea, Samaria, uh, to come in and to control that area. And Abbas... Mahmoud Abbas, who is the head of the Palestinian Authority, has essentially said that he would be willing to do it. Of course he would. <laughs> in exchange for the United States guaranteeing a two-state solution, which, of course, is not going to happen. But Israel... Which, in, the, in fact, he's also rejected in the past. Exactly. Interesting. Um, but they had control of the area and could not control it, number one. Number two... Well, they it, were in the area, and it was a bloody coup to get them out of the area by Hamas. Exactly right. So let's not forget that. Number two, Israel states unequivocally, no, Palestinian Authority will not control that region, and here's the predominant reason why. Yeah, they were not able to before, but number two, because they educate their children on the destruction of Israel. They educate their children on hating Jews. Couldn't agree more. They have summer camps to indoctrinate the youth. 
yes. in how to kill the Jews. And they reward the families of those who harm or kill Jews with financial reward. And right. where do you think that money came from, by the way? Well, I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you, yes. a lot of it came from the United States taxpayers. Exactly right. Nevertheless, that's why Israel says no way that we are going to allow the Palestinian Authority that, that rewards militants financially and educate their children to hate Jews. We're not going to allow them to control Gaza. Now, of course, they have stated that Israel is going to be the security uh, covering over that region, that they're going to, uh, you know, be essentially the governing force. Now, that is not acceptable long term. I think everybody knows that will not be, that will just be constant conflict. But the question is, well, then who can control those, you know, strong extremist views in that Gaza area. Well, Israel says we have to re-educate the next generation. We have to control the schools of what is being taught to those children if we want peace. Couldn't agree more. Let's let's continue that that discussion with the next segment. We're up against a break right now. It's been a blessing to have uh, you in studio today, Pastor Rich, and also a blessing to have our listeners join us as well. Uh, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Matthew Dodd, Associate Pastor over at Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro, Oregon, with Pastor Rich Jones, also uh, a partner there in the ministry. It's been a blessing to serve all these years with you, Pastor Rich, and mm-hmm. an honor to be on The Georgine Rice Show today. Hard to believe we're already at the last segment of the day. Uh, but as we close out the day, I think it would be good for us to talk about getting back to what we talked about earlier, the whole education that right. we see happening <clears throat> in in the Gaza Strip. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts in regards to this? Because you mentioned earlier that Israel, once it takes control, once Hamas is removed, mm-hmm. that uh, there needs to be an educating of the civilians there so that they no longer have these anti-Semitic views. How does that work out? Well, and of course, Israel is touching upon the root of the problem, which, of course, is that a whole generation now is being raised up on this extremist, militant, anti-Israel, destroy-Israel viewpoint, and this is the breeding ground of the future destruction of Israel if they do not intercede intervene, rather. <clears throat> and so when they were attacked on October 7th, which tragedy of epic proportions, a failure on the part of the, the IDF and their intelligence, by the way, the Hamas lulled them into a false sense of security. But then now the true nature of the whole thing is revealed. Israel has come to the realization we must destroy Hamas And we must then replace Hamas with some kind of governance. There's the dilemma, right? What do we do now? What governance must we institute? And yet it has to be controlling of the schools and the educational system because that next generation is fed hate. Now, interestingly, you and I were on a trip to Israel. Yes, 2018. uh, 2018. Uh, By the way... um, we went down to Sterot, 
And um, I'll never forget, we were actually at the police station that was under attack on, on October 7th. That's right. And, and many police officers were killed that day. And I'll never forget seeing all the spent mortar shells lined up behind a chain link fence right. along the, uh, the wall of the police office. Row police by building. row by row, stack by stack by stack, they had accumulated all of these spent shells uh, there, and, and we took pictures of them. Yeah, I'll never forget also <coughs> going up north. And remember right. seeing a black Mercedes Benz <laughs> They're watching and the IDF us. telling us yeah. that's, that's Hezbollah. That's Hezbollah. We were looking across the border, uh, and there's Hezbollah right there looking at us. And he said, don't worry, they're not going to attack you. They don't want an international scene. It was a nice black Mercedes Benz, though. Oh, there's a lot of money <laughs> there. But back, back to my point, which is we were there in 2018, and uh, we had an opportunity to hear from a uh, – Palestinian, Arab, Muslim, um, citizen of Israel, who stated, interestingly, that he was safer as a Palestinian Arab in Israel than in the Arab nations around, which I found very interesting. But then he, he talked about the real nature of the problem. And he said the real nature of the conflict is what happens in the homes. Right. What happens in a Jewish home raising their children versus what happens in a Palestinian Arab home and the education that they both receive. And of course, we, in fact, you and I also had the opportunity to have dinner in the home of a Jewish rabbi, and we saw the blessing. You know, they would literally they lay their hands on over every child. Mom and dad. Mom and dad and and yeah. and bless each one. It was very touching for me as a dad. Yes. But that blessing is God, you know, has put his hand on you, his favor is on you. Exactly. You know, arise my son, arise my daughter to what God has called you to me, you know, you'll become whatever, you know. What's happening in the Palestinian homes is very much the opposite of that, right? The goal of a Palestinian or Arab educated to one day you will attain the honor of taking the life of a Jew. Which I think you also saw in some of the videotapes where these terrorists were calling home right. saying, Mom, Mom and Dad, are you proud of me? I yeah. killed 10 Jews today. Yeah. Now, now are you this, proud of me? Now how do we know this is true? Right? Because this, this is a fact. This came off of the uh, cameras and whatnot that the militants were wearing. And so that was re recently put on display. Uh, uh, by the IDF that journalists from around the world could watch these exactly scenes right. unfold. Here's a young man, graphic to, de to, to describe it, who uses a shovel to remove the head of, a, of an Israeli, calls on that cell phone, uh, Dad, I just did this. Put Mom on the phone. You'd be so proud of me. Exactly right. And, and, and that's the difference, you know. Even in, even in Nazi Germany, the Germans were ashamed of what they did. Yeah, they... they immediately covered up the bodies. Right. They didn't parade them, as you saw Hamas do. But Hamas is proud. Call, yes. you know, get mom on the phone. Um, just a tragedy. This is all about the education. And so you can see why it's necessary to educate. Right. I couldn't agree more. Now, as we wrap up uh, the program for today, uh, how do we relate all of this in light of what Jesus taught, in light of what the Bible says? Uh, when I look at what happens, and especially the the nations that are involved, right. 
um, it it brings me to Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39 because we're seeing an alliance form between certain nations which are also mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Well, but I think leading up to that is Matthew 24, nation will rise against nation, uh, um, kingdom will rise against kingdom. These will be the signs of the latter days, right? Uh, but do not be afraid. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And so we are seeing, I believe today, the unfolding of those birth pangs, which you described as suggesting the nations of Ezekiel 38, the war of Gog and Magog, is we are seeing the alignment of nations that are consistent with those chapters. Couldn't agree more. I think you see from the north, Russia is involved, Persia, mm-hmm. which is Iran. Uh, Turkey plays a prominent role. Right. And then so you have from the north, the east, and the south. South. But led by the north, there's this hook yeah. Described that draws in Ezekiel. them right. in. Right. And could this be that very hook? You see this alliance that's forming, that's these right. nations that normally weren't allies mm-hmm. that are now working together, I think in many ways emboldened by the support they receive from the Chinese Communist Party, now, which is I, a whole other program you, that we could have right there. We could do a whole program on that. Absolutely right. And, and the BRICS nations, uh, what's happening in the world's BRICS, economies. Brazil, right. Russia. India, mm-hmm. China, South Africa, plus the, the other nations that were added to the equation. You're talking about 75% of the population right. in the world now represented by the BRICS nations who seek to overthrow the United mm-hmm. States and also the Western form of governance and, in and the, the world. And the major imp, uh, 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 impetus behind that is China. But again, that's going to require a whole new yeah. program. I want us to just sum up by reminding us of what the Lord said in Matthew 24 and 25. Number one, don't be afraid. Number two, stay on the alert. Number three, watch. And that's what we are doing in this program today. That's what we're doing on Blessors of Israel. I certainly invite our listeners to go to our website, Blessors, with an O, blessors.org, and you'll get a lot of information about what's happening and the biblical perspective on it. And we want to thank Georgine Rice yeah. for giving us this opportunity today. It's been a blessing again to be in studio with, with you, Pastor Rich, and we pray it's been a blessing for our listeners as well. We pray God's blessing for you, and as Pastor Rich said, may we stand firm, may we stay alert, and remember those who bless Israel will be blessed. It's been a blessing to be with you today. Shalom, shalom. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.